Hello, and welcome to Towards a Smarter World. This is Cruz Saunders, and today I'm here with Teodora Petkova. Teodora is a biologist fascinated by the metamorphoses of text on the web. She's an amazing writer and somebody I've been following for some time as she explores the semantic web, both in her Twitter stream and in her really well-written blog, which you can find at teodorapetkova.com. Teodora, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really happy to be with you. So in your writing, you focus very heavily on the semantic web. Many of us that have been around for a while remember the early heydays of the semantic web back from 2002, 2004, when there was conferences everywhere that included breathless predictions for the semantic web. I remember walking around the South by Southwest back in that time and every other session had semantic web content in it. And progress since then has just been slow. It, many people were almost let down by this idea that there was all the promise in the semantic web, but, but it, it's been a slow slog. What's happened since then? Why is the semantic web important? And what's new about what's happening today? Wow, that's three questions in one. Let me start with, with your idea that the semantic web has somehow slowed down, etc., etc. I don't think so. The semantic web is here and we're experiencing it already. We can very easily see that uh, with a simple Google search. If we look for an answer for, for something, we will not get a, a list of keywords. We'll get a, a direct answer. We can also ask Siri to answer something. So in very broad strokes, this is the semantic web in action. This is personal assistance, in, in the case I mentioned Siri, and search engines understanding our intent through highly connected data. And this is what the semantic web is, um, a web built of links between data pieces. And, and, and this is why it is so important because it will enable a, a hyper-connected cyberspace where we will be navigating things and thoughts and texts seamlessly and we will be exchanging a lot more easily just like what the web did it it re revolutionized uh, everything we do in terms of collaboration and uh, in terms of business and in terms of individual relationships the semantic web is poised to do the same it's just not so visible but it is happening more and more companies are realizing the need for semantics in their data. That makes sense. So what is your definition of semantic search itself in very broad strokes? Well, it's a search where you search for relationships, like for, me, for the meaning between the words and the things that you're searching for not for, for the keywords themselves that represent the things. And it's again, bits of data, bits of information related to other bits in a meaningful way. And 
Can you define linked data? Help to differentiate that from semantic search. What are some use cases for, for linked data? Well, linked data is the, again, this highly connected data where um, based upon certain standards and uh, universal agreed upon formats, data are made as a link lingua franca i'm not sure how this is pronounced how do you pronounce this yeah lingua franca mm -hmm. lingua franca yeah this is where um data is data are made as to connect to any other data piece in any combination you might want it to and maybe we should not try to define this in, in some terms. Maybe I should just tell you about the linked data jazz project. It's called linked jazz project. And there you can see linked data in action. If you go to that, to their website, you'll see a beautiful visualization of, of jazz musicians, of their work, of their connections. All in all, you'll see a hyper-connected, again, cyberspace where you can click anywhere and understand anything through the relationships it has or will be entering with other things before your eyes. And that is, you don't have a fixed uh, model or a fixed thing to look at, you, you have a living thing before your eyes, thanks to linked open data, to linked data, sorry. And so can you help us, uh, help the audience understand how that's different from, for example, a, an author just creating a hyperlink to, to, to another HTML document, you know, from HTML to HTML, it's a, it, there's, there's hyperlinks between documents, but what makes that different from linked data? Mm. Well, the links between data allow for a lot more granularity. And if you link to a document, you're linking to an entire thing with all somehow uh, closing the, the doors to all the tiny things that this document consists of. However, if you make links between these documents through data, you will be making links between the parts and the things these documents are mentioning and talking about all those entities yeah so we're so we're connecting entities with linked data to other entities but what's the source like what are we linking to i'm not okay. sure i get the question so if i've got a if i've got some sort of object or entity inside of my my article like i'm i'm talking about a, a form of of jazz mm -hmm. uh, what i'm I, what am i linking to what is my uh in order to create a linked data connection how am i forming that link that connection between my article about jazz and the rest of this hyperspace you're talking about yeah, th that's a nice way to look at this. Well, you're not going to be making the link from your document 
to, to a data piece, you will be probably linking something that mentions that, that your document mentions to, to a data piece mentioned somewhere else. Uh, for example, you're, you are talking about jazz and you can link the word jazz to its URI defined by, by something which is the Wikipedia of data for someone who doesn't know what's this. Wikipedia has, has its equivalent in data and it's called the Datapedia. So is, is that the same thing as Wikidadia or is that that's DBpedia? Yeah, it's DBpedia. I'm sorry. I Got messed it. up. Yeah. So if you if you will be linking this your document and the, the, the words and the entities you're mentioning to other data sets which contain the described thing, you will be creating this big branched thing that talks not only to people but also to machines so if a machine comes to your article and it sees the data version the data description of jazz the machine will know what you're talking about because it's got a common reference in dbpedia there's some sort yeah. of okay mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting between wikidata and DB, dbpedia there's a, a bunch of entities defined that are are in this kind of canonical source that machines can understand and and by connecting that to to our entities that we're writing about we we're allowing the things we're talking about to be connected in a a known way or sort of a, a highly uh, validated way because we're because we're directly drawing lines between yeah. We're making what we're talking about unambiguous. Unambiguous, cool. Yeah, the, the old phrase from the semantic web was things, not strings. Can you talk a little bit about the meaning of that? Well, I'm not sure if this is the, an old semantic web phrase. Isn't that a Google's phrase? Things, not strings. You know, I've, I've heard that for so many years. We're creating things, not strings. To elaborate, to elaborate on this, it is about uh, computer representation that acknowledges an ecosystem's view of the different content we have. So again, if you're talking about jazz, it's not just the string or the word jazz. It's the entity and the thing jazz that is related to so much more than the mere representation in words. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it, 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 it might help to connect some ideas for uh, listeners that have heard that before and trying to understand kind of where it fits in this overall set of concepts between the semantic web and linked data you know, and DBpedia and Wikidata and what Google's doing with knowledge graphs. All of these are, are ideas that um, for, for a lot of folks have been in the ether but aren't anchored to activities in their publishing processes. So I wonder, you know, can you speak to 
uh, how linked data contributes to the semantic web, how much content is actually currently enriched by linked data. And then we'll maybe talk about how authors can start adapting their own process for, for linked data. Yeah. Well, the semantic web is, is a web of linked data. And it is, linked data is the backbone that would enable this hyper-connected cyberspace that the semantic web will be. As for the enrichment by, by enterprises and by individuals, I know it has been growing slowly but steadily, which is again an optimistic thing to know. There is also the, the linked open data cloud, which is a visualization of linked data sets, which are available openly on the web. And from uh, 2007 to 2017, they have grown to 100 and uh, 1,163, and they were, they were only 12 in 2007. Wow. Yeah. To, to add a little bit of flesh to, to, to this explanation, again, these data sets and, and the, the, the universal format they're available in would allow any word or any concept to be enriched with as many connections as it can possibly contain. Got it. Interesting. Yeah, this as somebody that works with content management systems, implementations, and publishing systems of various kinds, I'm very intrigued by linked data publishing cycles because we have to find a way to allow for semantic enrichment in the easiest possible way for, for authors. And this is why I'm so intrigued by all of the various kinds of um, tools out there that are helping to engender what you see is semantically marked up content kind of authoring. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to what you see is what you get uh, chunks of uh, presentation oriented text. And, and so authoring for the semantic web has been really hard just because our tools haven't caught up. I mean, most CMSs are, you know, uh, you've got structured elements so, um, within a content type and eventually you get to one big chunky thing called insert text here, you know, the body <laughs> text. And, and then the body text is filled with semantic concepts that aren't really linked anywhere. So we can, anything that's structured, that's a structured element, we can automatically append semantic markup to in the render of the content. But we can't do that if we've got that big chunky insert content here body that's all semantically <laughs> marked up or should be semantically marked up, but, but is, is just presentation oriented. And so bridging that gap, I think, is one of the big challenges in, in publishing, especially in, in large enterprises, but really truly for anybody that's publishing content to the web. This is what WordLift are doing the people from WordLift. It's a WordPress plugin, which uses linked data to, to enrich your content. Yes, yeah. Andrea Volpini is a really very good thinker. I'm looking forward to him extending that beyond the WordPress um, environment, and I, I'm sure that, that they will. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I also see products like Acrolinks out there in the market that have an opportunity to impact that same authoring life cycle, but there's, there's others. 
Fonto XML, uh, for example, is an authoring environment that will allow you to plug into something like Pool Party or other kinds of semantic suites and pull in essentially a whole linked data ontology um, that can inform the authoring process. And so it's really great to see various innovators working towards this semantic relationship with the authoring environment. And, you know, I think, I think it's still very early in terms of where the technology will, will need to end up before we have mass adoption. Because I think we do need mass adoption before the linked data hyperspace to really truly grow. I agree. And, and maybe we should talk about the other side of the coin, which is uh, Google and other search engines are very much interested in, in understanding your text, even if you, if you haven't marked it up properly. So again, this is uh, going back to your question about things and not strings and, their, and Google's knowledge graph, where they categorize and link things and are trying to, to create that universe of connected things, not strings. Yeah. Yeah, Google is trying to understand our content from the outside. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Agree. We, we need to, to be able to create from within. I agree with you. Yeah, it's the, the knowledge graph that Google is creating is a natural language processing oriented uh, map of our knowledge. But as publishers, I think we, we really need to be able to create our, our own knowledge representation and expose that so that the robots have clean understanding of it, but also the humans do, and also our publishing systems. You know, a big part of the business justification for these technologies is being prompted by new uses of that same semantically marked up content. We have all kinds of new ways of working with rich semantic uh, snippets uh, or pieces of content that are separated from their original source and presented independently. And they might appear on a watch or in an augmented reality environment or in a chatbot dialogue. And all of those kinds of publication scenarios require a different kind of semantics. So I, I really think we're going to get to this critical mass that, that we're talking about that's, that's necessary to create a rich hyperspace. Yeah. I wonder for an author, because you work with authors um, in your writing a lot and, and relate to authors. For an author that's never worked with linked data, what's your advice to begin to understand how to work with the linked data and how they might begin to leverage that in a, in a useful way in their, in their writing? Mm, that's a nice question. It's again getting back to ba uh, going back to basics and going back to what they already know about text. And a text is never a thing that stands alone. It is a living thing that is always connected to other things. And this is a great starting point. When you create content with linked data in mind, you need to, to see what you're writing about in, a, in an ecosystem and not to be afraid to link to all kinds of things and to create your text as a tapestry woven out of many threads. So maybe, again, 
I should say here that hypertext was conceived by Ted Nelson as a literary device, that is, as a thing that would enable the non-linearity of content. And we don't think in a linear way. Maybe you talked about CMS, sis, and in the way they, they somehow constrain us. It's true. Maybe it's not about learning new things when writing with link data in mind. Maybe it's about unlearning what, what our technology constrained us to, to think about text. Interesting. Interesting. Can you speak a little bit more about that? In terms of interconnectedness? Yeah. How that author's unlearning process helps to unlock the future. Well, that's a million dollar question. <laughs> Where does this unlearning process start? Well, it starts with understanding that the semantic web as conceived by uh, Sir Tim Berners-Lee was half a web of machines and half a web of people. So at the end, when writing and when authoring content for the web, we are to be aware that we are directly connecting to another human being on the other side of the screen. And that we are to aim for clarity, for inspiration, for whatever we want to communicate through our content. I think it's, it sounds a bit abstract, but, but it's a, a nice basis to begin with. You need to think about the other person on the other side of the device, whatever that device would be. And again, you should also start thinking about being a really useful node in the information plumbing that is happening on the web. So just like data will be flowing freely and seamlessly, we need to open up and uh, be ready to, to connect content bravely and to perceive and to imagine content in, in new ways and to understand, to see the future, how, how will uh, informational, educational, inspirational content, how would that content change given it is presented by a hologram? Love it. I love it. It's like we're, we're, we're creating the human brain and we're, we're, but not just one human's brain. Like it's, we're creating those connections with the, the human brain, like the yeah. global. It's a, it's a giant global graph or a giant global brain as Tim Berners-Lee once put it. Yes. Right. It's a swarm. It's the intelligence of the many. And, and becomes... writing and creating content, we are to tap into this uh, understanding, this core of publishing on the web. The idea that the web is a giant library where we share knowledge and experience and make the world a better place in text. I, I think of it as kind of a kind of 
sort of a form of fire, you know, that, that we're creating this light, this interconnected sense of, of knowledge between all of these nodes or these nexuses of information and, and awareness. And when we write about something, we're adding our fire to a global bonfire around that topic that, that makes it brighter. And when we link it up, we, we actually can make that fire brighter. Or we can just have a candle sitting out there in, in isolated space, which is valuable. But when it's connected to the larger fire, it becomes something bigger and transformative. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful way to see that. I like your fire idea, although I, I prefer to look at it like synapses, like the neurons connected, but not in our brain, but to, to, to the other person's brain. Like, like the, the informational space around the earth McLuhan was imagining. It's happening now. It has always felt to me like a bit of a process of discovery, that the information space is almost something that exists and we sort of bring it out <laughs> but yeah. but it, there's this underlying information space to everything and you know it's a bit more of an abstract idea but i think uh, it's it's something that that makes some intuitive sense to me that 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 it that the process of learning is this process of discovery and and the more we can connect up our our views, our individual perspectives as humans on the big information graph that, that out of which we emerge, the more we can understand the whole. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and machine intelligence is just this container which will be transferring and carrying this fire. Love it. Let's leave it there. I, there's many more questions I have for you about, about writers and and the mindset around this, but I really think this is a, a beautiful note to end on. So let's wrap up our interview here. Theodora, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate uh, you taking the time at the afternoon on the other side of the world to, uh, to meet with us and talk about the semantic web, linked data, knowledge and the human experience. And thanks for all of the wonderful writing you contribute to the wider world. I know you're inspiring others out there to pick up their torches and their candles and uh, connect their neurons uh, to, to the larger graph. So thanks a lot for everything you do. Thanks for inviting me. And let me just end with an Aaron Bradley's um, quote who says, entities loom larger with linked data. Ah, yes. I love that. The big shadow of big data. Yeah. <laughs> loom much larger with the linked shadow. All right. Well, thanks, Theodora. Have a good one. And we look forward to following your work in the months and years ahead. Thank you. Bye.